The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Well, all right. Good morning, church. Great to see you guys this morning. I'm glad that you're here. Fall has officially hit. It feels like fall out there. So uh, that's great. Uh, Excited about that. Hey, if uh, you're a guest with us, I didn't get a chance to say hi to you on the way in. My name's Chris. I'm the lead pastor here at Fathom. Glad that you're with us this morning. Uh, We have a a lot to get through today. So if you brought your Bible, and I hope you did, would you grab it and open it up to Ephesians chapter 3? You can open a phone or a tablet. You can also open one of these hardback black Bibles that are under every single chair and open that up to Ephesians 3. You'll find Ephesians 3 in those black Bibles on page 977. Uh, But Ephesians 3 is where we are going to spend our time this morning. Uh, just real quick, as, as we're turning there, by a show of hands, if you want to admit this, and you really should, uh, if, uh, actually, if you don't, then I'll question you, but uh, anybody in here do or have done CrossFit? Just come on, let's see it. We see some, okay, there's a few of you. All right, uh, just wanted you to, uh, I just wanted you to know, uh, I, I've made my, my stance on CrossFit clear from this pulpit in the past, okay? I just want you to know uh, know, uh, a little bit more about CrossFit this morning, okay? I've done a little research on this thing, uh, and I I need you to understand that CrossFit, I did did a search, a Google search, so this is excellent information. (laughs) CrossFit is defined as a form of high-intensity interval training. It's a strength and conditioning workout that's made up of functional movement performed at a high intensity level. That's that's what it means to do CrossFit. Okay, uh, it's like Jazzercise. You remember Jazzercise? It's like Jazzercise with ropes. Is what I. It's how I understand it. Okay. If you don't know what Jazzercise is, I've lost most of our college students at this point. But. Um, so here's what I know about CrossFit. Okay, you don't do CrossFit. You CrossFit. Okay, it's a verb. You are a CrossFitter or you CrossFit. You don't do it. Uh, CrossFit, there's only two real categories of people when it comes to CrossFit. There's those who love it, right? If you do or have done CrossFit or maybe you want to do CrossFit, it's the best. It's awesome, okay? Everybody should do CrossFit. It's it's, It's the best thing I've ever done in my life. That's one camp. The other camp is this. It's a cult. You're, there's only two options in this, okay? There's no neutral ground here. It's either it's the best thing in the world or it's a cult. And even if you don't CrossFit, you know about CrossFit because you know others who CrossFit because they let you know they CrossFit, right? They let you know about it. Uh, CrossFitters, I'm sorry, but you tend not to lead with, hey, I'm Ted and I work at Lockheed. You actually lead with, hey, I'm Ted and I work out at Decima, Right? Or at Ken Carroll, or at Kata, or wherever it is that you work out. It's the first thing out of your mouth. It's like identi- it's part of your identity. Is is your CrossFit thing? And and if you've been around CrossFitters, then you know that they have their own language, too. It's like a, a, a different nomenclature that they use in the CrossFit world. So it starts like this: You want to go to the box with me? What's a box? Well, it's the CrossFit gym. Why don't you just call it a gym? Because it's a box. You want to go? It's like, oh, no, no. Okay, don't hurt me, right? (laughs) 
the vein in your neck is bursting at this point, but you got to know the language. You got to know what the box is. You got to know what the wad is. You got to know what the Fran is. You got to know what the Murph is. And if you get those things wrong, they will correct you. I've been corrected publicly by people about this. Okay. So CrossFitters, you're just boasting about your strength. You're boasting about your workouts. You're boasting about how many rope things you can do and how many cleans you can do. And a lot of the things that I don't understand you're posting on Instagram. I bled out of my eyes today. It was awesome. Right? Like, and, and listen, people are signing up for this stuff in droves. Frankly, I'm kind of wired in a way that I kind of want to do CrossFit. I just can't afford it. All right. So I'm thinking about getting some ropes in my garage and we'll just start our own box or gym. Uh, but, but I wanted to bring up CrossFit this morning because Fathom Church, I want to encourage you this morning that you are like, you're like the CrossFit people of the Bible. You're like the CrossFit people of the Bible here. Okay. I bring this up because we're in week six of Ephesians. So we're walking through the, the epistle to the Ephesians, and we're in week six. And the first six weeks, we've covered some heavy and hard-hitting theology, doctrine, and conviction. I mean, I know you've, you've felt this because we talked about predestination, and we talked about total depravity. And I've called you, your, I've called you sinners. I've called you Satan worshipers. I've called you, you know, depraved. I mean, I've been, I've been and you're almost, you're, it's like you like this. Like, this is why I think you're like the CrossFitters of preaching, because I say these things, and you're like, tell us it again, Pastor. Tell us we're sinners again. Like, and, uh, okay, I'm in, all right? I'll sign up for that. And, and so I think today we're going to close off the CrossFit portion of the book of Ephesians. Today, we're going to transition, and I'm calling today's sermon Strengthened, which has a little bit to do with CrossFit, but what I think you're going to see in the transition in chapter 3 is that Paul wants to strengthen us, and it's more than just this theological beatdown. He begins to move into our hearts. So uh, if you understand the, the book of Ephesians, there's six chapters. The first three chapters really do deal with deep theology for believers believers in Christ to know, to understand, to get cognitively, and then also to get experientially in our hearts. So that's the first three chapters. But then at the end of chapter three, we are at this pivot, pivot or this hinge for the second half of the book, chapters four, five, and six, Paul begins to address the behaviors that follow after the beliefs that he covers in the first three. So the first three chapters are beliefs. The last three chapters are behaviors. And today is the pivot. And what Paul does at the pivot point is he prays. He prays for all of this deep theology to strengthen the believers in Ephesus and for us before he's going to start addressing their behavior. Now, you need to know this before we jump into this text, and this is good evangelical gospel theology, but belief always precedes behavior. In, in church, in Christianity, in, in understanding the word of God, belief precedes behavior. And we sometimes flip-flop that. We get that backwards where we think, I've just got to get my life kind of cleaned up a little bit. I got to do a little bit better in this area or in that area or in that area before I can really believe, before I can really be accepted by Christ. And the gospel would say, no, no, no. Belief precedes that behavior. You don't clean yourself up so that you can believe. You, you believe, and then that empowers you to start working on your life. So we're going to see this belief preceding behavior in our text today. We're going to jump right into this prayer. Okay, so look at your text. We're going to start in uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. So let's go through this. For this reason... 
I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So this is the start of Paul's prayer. And actually, if you were here last week and Justin preached last week, uh, you saw in chapter 3, verse 1, the exact same words. The first four words are the exact same. Actually, look again at at verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says, for this reason, I... And then Paul takes this little 14-verse excursion, which Paul's allowed to do because he's the Apostle Paul, okay? But, but he just kind of brought us on this journey about the mystery of Christ and uh, the principalities of this world and all this stuff that Justin taught last week. I'm not going to go back into it. But it's like at verse 14, he remembers that he was going to pray. So in verse 1, he's like, for this reason, I, and then he talks for a while. And then today in verse 14, he says, for this reason, I, bow the knee to the father. And so now he is getting back to his prayer. Today, we're going to see his prayer. So Paul is on his knees before his father. And here's what he's going to pray for these believers in Ephesus. Look at verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is the beginning of his prayer. And I just want you to take a moment and think how wonderful this prayer is. We're going to divvy it all up and work through it, but what a wonderful point for Paul to pause before he moves to behavior And he prays this prayer for these believers because what he has just said, let me give you the quick overarching recap of chapters one through three. This is what he's taught us, that God chose you, that God predestined you, that God called you, that he saved you, that you didn't save you, that he did all of those things. And even though you were dead in your sins and in league with the enemy and deserving of God's wrath because of your sin, he rescued you. He made you alive. He saved you by grace through faith. That's what we saw in chapter two. He rescued you. He took you outsiders and he made you insiders. He took those who were deadlocked enemies in the Jews and the Gentiles and he brought them together and united them as one new tribe, which we call the church. And he did all of this last week so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be seen and known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. What that means is that God did something in our midst by reconciling those who are far apart together, people. And he did that to show the rulers and principalities like this cosmic force, how wise he is. So you being reconciled to Christ is actually how he is making his wisdom known to the principalities and powers of this world. It doesn't seem very wise to me. Like, look around you. This is how God has determined to show his manifold wisdom to the world is us. But this is how he did it. So this is how he has brought us through the first three chapters. And now, in light of all of that, Paul says, I'm hitting my knees. I'm going to get down on my knees before our Father, and I'm going to beg him that you'd be strengthened with power through the knowledge of all this stuff. I told you all of those things, and now I'm praying for you to be strengthened by those things before we start talking about your behaviors. So this is the pivot. This is the prayer. He wants to strengthen these believers before he instructs their behaviors. Just got to remember, belief always precedes behavior. And so now Paul is going to pray 
And in this prayer, he's going to give us kind of three purposes of how he wants us to be strengthened. Okay, three things. I'm not going to alliterate. I couldn't come up with a good alliteration this week. So you're going to actually have to like do your own thinking today. Okay, so three purposes behind the prayer in the next couple of verses. So let's break these down. Uh, We'll work through them together. Let's look at the rest of verse 17. He said, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love, and now here's the first one, that you may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. So this is the first purpose of his prayer. Being rooted and grounded in love, you would have the strength to comprehend. The strength to comprehend. The outcome of a spiritual strengthening for you will be an ability to to comprehend what God's up to, to see what God's doing. This is why he says that you will have a strength to comprehend the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of God. Like So Paul's making a statement here uh, of the grandeur of Christ's love for you that you can't even get your mind around. You would need strength to comprehend how big this love is for you. And that's why I actually had Job chapter 11 read for us. It reminded me of that verse this week. This is the verse where we got our church's name from is Job chapter 11. And I'll read it again. Job says, can you fathom the deep things of God? Can you probe the limits of the almighty? Those are rhetorical questions. No, you cannot. It's higher than the heaven. How, uh, what can you do? It's deeper than Sheol. That's hell. Well, like, what can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. So, so this is the, what he's, he's praying for strength here to comprehend this, which is almost uncomprehendable. And that strength, though, is not physical. It's not like a, it's not like a CrossFit physical kind of working out strength, right? It's a strength of the mind, It's the strength of the heart. It's the strength of the spirit. And so the Bible talks about this kind of spiritual or supernatural strength all throughout the text. All throughout the Bible, we can find examples of strength being this like inner strength, not this outward yoked out of your mind strength, like an inward strength. And so uh, I, I could have pointed to a lot of different examples, but in my personal quiet time right now, I'm working through the book of Joshua And I found one in Joshua last week that I thought was really helpful. So I thought I'd use this as an example. Joshua chapter one, six says this, be strong and courageous. Okay, that's that strength. Be strong and courageous for you shall cause this people, the the Israelites, to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Verse seven, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the, the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. So this is the strength that, that we're talking about here. Okay, God's not saying to Joshua, hey, you go, you know, do some push-ups, be strong, right? Like do some burpees, like just get jacked. Like that's not, that's not the kind of strength that he's commanding him. He's saying, you're gonna bring my people, Israel, into the promised land and you're gonna need strength to do that. And you're gonna need to be courageous to be able to obey my word as we make this, this journey together. 
He needs an inner strength to lead God's people into the promised land. It's a strength to comprehend what God is doing. Now, here's what happens in, in the book of Joshua. Uh, in Joshua chapter six, they come to the first city after they cross the Jordan into the promised land. And that first city they come to is a city called Jericho. And you might know this story, the story of Joshua and God's people coming to Jericho. But, but here, let me run it down for you. God says to Joshua, hey, here's the city. I've given the city into your hands. Go take the city. Go take Jericho. And Joshua essentially goes, uh, you see, we don't have soldiers to match them. See those soldiers? See those walls? See the fortification of Jericho? Uh, we're outmatched here, God. So you want us to go take that city? And God says, I mean, essentially he says, hey, what's that I hear? What's that? I, is, is that a clarinet I'm hearing right now? Oh, you, you have a marching band? Cool. Okay, you know what? Take them, march around the city. And Joshua, I imagine, I mean, this is maybe not exactly in the text, okay? But I'm just guessing. This is a little conjecture. But I'm guessing Joshua goes, all right. Listen, God, um, I don't know if you know this. This is my first day. Like today's my first day on the job, all right? And, and these people have been following Moses for like, I don't know, 40 years or something. After you saved them, rescued them through his hand from Egypt, they've seen miracles, they've seen wonders, they've seen food coming from heaven. And, and now you want me to take the band to the fortified city of Jericho, which freaked the people out enough that they ended up 40 years wandering in the desert because they didn't want to take them on. You want me to take the marching band and march around the city without weapons. Is that what you want me to do, God? Yes, I do. That's exactly what I want you to do. That's exactly what I want you to do. So now here, Joshua at this point, he must remember Joshua chapter one. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous to obey my word. Because what he does next is he calls the captains of his army together and he says this. All right, guys. Um, oh, you know that fortified city over there with Jericho, right? With the well-equipped warriors and all of that. Uh, well, we've got trombones, and we've got some flautists, okay? And we've got one of those guys with the big tuba thing that they hang on his shoulders. And, uh, and so God has said that, that he's going to give them into our hands. So go get the band. We've got to go for a walk. Again, I'm paraphrasing, okay? You follow me here? But, but they go and do it. I mean, think of the strength. Think of the courage it takes for them to actually do what God just told them to do. And they don't even just do it once. They do it seven times. They go and walk around that city for seven days. I just have to imagine that God is smiling at this one. I mean, he's just got to be. It's this complete lunacy. He's got to just be like, watch this, angels. Yeah, go do that again, guys. I mean, he's just got to be. He's just got to be joyous in watching this because it goes past any stage of human comprehension what God is asking them to do. But Joshua does it. Seven days in a row, he does it. And then you get to day seven and God ramps the crazy up a little bit. Do you see this in the text? Have you read this book? Okay. Uh, it gets a little bit crazier because God's like, okay, here's the deal. Um, you've got to march around the city, not just one time on day seven, but march around it seven times. And then I want you to yell. I just want you to scream at the top of your lungs. And maybe my imagination is going a little wild at this point, but I have to imagine that final lap. 
like the band is going and Israel's there and they're marching around the final lap and they come to that fateful moment where they make that final stop and I gotta say, they gotta look up and there's all these people probably looking down at them. Like Jericho's not unaware of them. So they're looking up, they're looking down, moment of truth. And it's like, so are we supposed to yell now? Is this now when we're, are we supposed to yell? You start it, I ain't starting it. You start, you start, Vern. You start the yell and then I'll start. Like in my mind, nobody wants to do the yelling and who's gonna start this thing? Then youth pastor brain kicks in and I'm like, ah, middle school boy, okay? They had to have had a middle school boy who was like, yeah! And then everybody else starts yelling too and the walls come tumbling down. This is the story of Jericho. This is the story of Jericho. Thinking about that this week. You think they had strength to comprehend what God was doing when they came to the next town? You think they had strength and courage in their hearts after Jericho to take on whatever comes next? This is the first purpose of Paul's prayer for us. All that doctrine, all that good theology. Paul says, you learn that rich theology and it should give you strength to comprehend, to fathom how unfathomable God is. So whatever he's doing in your life that seems crazy, he's got his hand on it. You got to have strength to comprehend that though. So that's the first purpose I think of his prayer. It's the first purpose, strength to comprehend. But the second one can be found in verse 19. So he just said, you got to have that, being rooted and grounded in love, you may have strength to comprehend, verse 19, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Paul is praying that you would have strength to comprehend, but then the second one he wants you to know is that you would have a knowledge that surpasses knowledge. Knowledge that surpasses knowledge. That's what he said. You need to know something that surpasses knowledge. I love this one because it's impossible. Right? You following me here? You cannot know something that surpasses your ability to know it. That's impossible. To speak of knowing something that surpasses knowledge is a deliberate paradox. Paul's being deliberately paradoxical here, but what he's saying is that to know the love of Christ is to know Christ himself, who, back to our last point, is an ever-deepening well or experience of understanding. You can't ever reach the bottoms of him. So to know something that surpasses knowledge, that's what he's praying now. And the, the Greek word that he used here, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that Greek word for know is the same Greek word we saw in chapter one, gnosko. And we talked about this. The Greek word gnosko is not just knowledge of head knowledge, it's heart knowledge, it's felt knowledge. Actually, if you were to read this in the Greek, here's the three Greek words that it says there. It says, gnosko agape Christos. To know the agape love, the unfailing, untethered unending love of Christ. That's what it literally reads there, that you would experientially and intimately know the height and the depth of the most profound love, a sacrificial love that transcends and persists regardless of any circumstance. You got to know that. So I don't know how to illustrate this. 
like a knowledge that surpasses knowledge. I really wasn't sure what to do with this idea. And all illustrations are going to fall a bit short, but this is the closest I got this week. Let me try this. Uh, This last week, my whole family got sick. So that was great. Uh, All three of us got sick at the same time. My seven-year-old, my wife, and I, we have never all three been sick at the same time, uh, which made for a lot of fun. Uh, It was really good times. Okay, but uh, what happened while we were sick is I I just kind of was sitting on the couch unhappy, thinking about all the sickness we've had in the past. And like, for whatever reason, my mind got on when Harper was really little, my daughter, when she was really little, like maybe a year, 14 months, something like that. So like little, little, uh, she got sick for one of the first times and not like a little runny nose, kind of cold, but like actually sick, like sick, sick. And so I remember this time when she was sick, we were down in our living room and we didn't know that Harper was sick because she was so small that she couldn't communicate that she was sick or like when she was going to be sick, which made it, it's like a game always, you know? Um, but, but so, so we had, um, we didn't know she was sick and we had finished feeding her dinner. So she had, you know, milk and carrots and, you know, a bunch of stuff that's really good in your digestive tract. Okay. Um, and and so we'd finished dinner, Harper's in her pajamas. It's before bedtime. And, uh, she was just pitching a fit, just crying and whining and laying on the floor, which wasn't unusual. Okay. For like a, for like a 14 month old, this is just Tuesday. It's just bedtime, okay? That's like what they do at that time. So, so we didn't think she was sick. We just thought she was being a pill. So like I'm trying to distract her, right? I'm trying to play with her and like read to her and she's not having any of it. She's not having any of it. So like I pick her up and I'm holding her in my arms and I'm sitting her on the couch and just kind of rocking her back and forth when she leans, I'm holding her, she leans back in my arms, okay? Looks at me with big, big eyes and like tears all over her face and just vomits all over me, all over the couch, all over the floor, the carpet. I mean, just all over the front of me. I don't know if you've been puked on, um, but uh, when that happens, there's a moment of shock where for all of us, okay? Not just, but like she just, she, she stopped crying. I was like, oh, okay. And then she started screaming, okay? So she starts screaming because she doesn't understand what just happened. Like she'd never done this before. So she didn't understand what had happened. And so she was scared and she was covered in it. And I'm covered in it. And our couch is covered in it. And our carpet's covered in it. And and I'm type A. And so I can't have any of this, all right? And listen, the smell is not pleasant, okay? It's just not a pleasant smell. Um, And so I did what any man would do. Uh, I set her on the floor and I said, honey, can you come deal with this, please? <laughs> no, it's not, that's not true. That is not what I, that is not what I did. Here's, here's honestly what happened. I was thinking about this this week. Um, I don't think I ever thought about the smell, though it was very bad. And I don't even think I thought about how disgusting it was to have somebody else's vomit on me though it was definitely disgusting. All I could see was my little girl covered in filth, screaming and crying, scared because she didn't understand. And so I pressed her up to my chest and I carried her up to the bathroom and I turned on the shower And I held her in my arm and I had one hand in front of the faucet waiting for that water. And she's still screaming. I'm waiting for that water to warm up. 
And when the temperature was just right, I stripped off her Disney frozen pajamas that were now covered in filth. And, and, I, and I stripped down from my clothes that were covered in her mess. And I, I pitched them away. And I held her in my arms and we got in the shower and I just started washing her. And I washed her face and I washed her chest and I washed the filth out of the little fat rolls that one-year-olds have on their necks. <laughs> and I just washed her. And then Marcy handed me a dry, warm towel after that shower and I wrapped her in that and I dried her off and I put on another pair of frozen jammies because that's all we had at that point. Um, and then I handed her to Marcy and Marcy took her and rocked her to sleep and laid her in her bed. And while she did that, I took my clothes and I took Harper's clothes and I threw them in the washer. And then I went back downstairs and I got a rag and I started cleaning the couch. And then I got some spray and I started cleaning the carpet of the mess that I didn't catch with my chest. And and, and then I got even a little, we have the little green machine carpet spot cleaner that we got out and I, we, we shampooed the carpet because I'm type A, I can't have that there, okay? So, so I shampooed the carpet to rid the area of all and any stains and then I febrezed the mess out of my entire house. And this week, um, as we're all sick at my house, I thought of that experience and it hit me and tears welled up in my eyes. For, for this is the state that my sweet God found me in. And this is what he is continuing to do in me. And if you're in Christ, in you as well. Never angry about the mess. Never harsh in word or in action. Just washing. Cleaning gentle and loving like a like a father of a little girl it's my best attempt to illustrate a knowledge of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that's what Paul's praying you'd be strengthened with so there's one more less emotional but one more Let's look at the rest of verse 19. So remember, he says that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend, may know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, and then finally, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That you would be filled with all the fullness of God. That's the third point, that you'd be filled with fullness. Now, this again is a rhetorical device that Paul employs in this prayer, okay? It's not paradox like his last point, okay? What this is, is the language of hyperbole. This is hyperbolic language. This is a gross exaggeration because how can we, as finite beings, be filled with all the fullness of God, an infinite being, Okay, how can we be filled with fullness that could never be contained within our finite beings? This is hyperbole. There's another beautiful parallel verse to consider. Colossians 2, verses 9 and 10 says, For in him, in Christ, for in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him 
who is the head of all rule and authority. So that text says that in Christ, in Jesus Christ, the man, Jesus Christ, who lived, died, and was resurrected 2,000 years ago, in him, the whole fullness of deity dwelt. All of the triune Godhead's deity dwelt in the man, Jesus Christ, and you have been filled in him. If you're in Christ, you have been filled in him. How does that work? I don't know. No flipping idea. Really, this is a, it's a divine mystery how this works. But Paul wants us to be strengthened by this, by being filled with all the fullness of God. Now, the opposite is true for us, okay? We love to, the idea of being filled to the fullness. We want to live life to the full, So we're seeking fullness. We're seeking to be filled. But frankly, we seek in all the wrong places. We seek this fullness apart from God. The way I've told it to you in the past is we drink from wells, water wells that cannot satisfy our thirst. Just real quick, let me give you the four wells that I think are the most predominant wells that we drink from. These are stolen straight from Tim Keller. Okay. First, we love to drink from the well of self. Self, I think, is the first well that we tend to run to because here's how it plays out. We, we have thoroughly convinced ourselves that a better version of us is going to finally solve all that bothers us. That like a future version of us, whatever that is in your mind, whatever the future version of you is in your mind, that once we get there, then the angst and the frustration and this like unnerving sense of, ah, there has to be something more to life than this, that that will all be answered. That all of those questions are simply going to vanish. But here's what I'd like to lay before you. 10 years ago, you thought you would be there today. 10 years ago, there was a future version of you that you thought would be ready and good and awesome. And now you're today. How's that going? Right? How's that going? Is you still a little bit disappointed? I mean, really, are you still a little bit disappointed in you? See, this is the game. This is the game that we push forward when we run to the well of self because the future version of you that's in your head, like the one with the, you know, the six-pack abs and just cash falling out of your pockets, that, that, that version of you will be just as disappointing to you as you are to you right now. I promise I make more money than I used to and I still am disappointed with myself. I feel like I've grown in a lot of ways and I still find myself letting myself down. I mean, does anybody let you down more than you? You will not be able to fill yourself with a better version of you. This leads me then to the second well. Because if we can't fill ourselves, then we'll seek to find fullness in others. Others. That's the second well. I mean, it's just unbelievable how many of us think that other people are going to complete us. Listen, Jerry Maguire is a liar. He's just a liar. Dated myself with these guys again. Okay. Nobody thought that was funny. Okay. (laughs) Don't use the Jerry Maguire joke ever again. Okay. Listen, you guys. um, 
there is a fracture in the foundation of every relationship. Whether it's a healthy relationship or an unhealthy relationship, and that fracture is sin and death. Christ has reconciled us to one another, but it is imperfect until the kingdom comes in full. And so we will still sin against one another or life will eventually end. Whether it be a friendship or a marriage or even a parent to child. Goodness, I was at a funeral this week for my friend whose 18-year-old son just died of cancer. I watched him watch his firstborn be put in the ground. And if his foundation... (laughs) is his parent-to-child relationship, or parent-to-child relationship, then he is over. Then life ends. Then there is no hope for the future. I mean, goodness, I tell engaged couples when I do premarital counseling all the time, like if you're going into this marriage thinking that the other person, like, hey, we're gonna magically become one flesh and complete each other perfectly, Like, if you think that's true and that all the cracks and the crevices in your heart and in your significant other's heart will be filled at marriage, I tell you, you're moving towards conflict that will ultimately cause a lot of pain. We find the fullness of life in Christ alone, not in anyone else. So you have the well of self that doesn't do anything for you. You have the well of others, which will consistently let you down over time. The third well that we drink from, hoping to find fullness, is the well of the world. It's the world. What I mean by the world is like the stuff and the experiences that the world can provide. Like legit stuff, legit places, trips, those sorts of things. See, you can numb the angst in your soul with trinkets and toys, with food and drink, with hobbies and experiences. And all of those things are good things, but when we drink from the well of the world, we take the good gifts that God intended for us to enjoy and we use them to do more than God ever created those things to do. So these aren't bad things, they're good things, but we turn them into God things and it's a really bad thing. Here's some examples. Uh, Food is good. I think about food like 23 hours a day. (laughs) Anybody else? Anybody thinking about wings right now? Because I am, all right? Walters, yes, please. Okay, so like, I think about food all the time. Food is good. It is a gift. It is to be enjoyed. But we shouldn't run there for comfort. We shouldn't run there for support. And I'll tell you, a big dish of Bluebell can, can feel like it's some support. It really can but we shouldn't think that that filling that we're putting in our stomach will ultimately fill us. Listen, drink, wine. Wine is a good gift from God. It really is. Now, there are some in this place where you're not in a spot where you should ever enjoy that gift. That's okay. But listen, there is a way to drink wine that glorifies the Lord. And there is a way to drink wine that leads to debauchery and sin and destruction. When you're looking for it to fill something in you. So be careful, it will not fill you. I've seen so many people drink from that well. 
sex is a good and right and beautiful gift. It just is. Like throw out this whole like purity culture sort of nonsense where sex is dirty and sex is, sex is good and it is right and it is beautiful. But to experience the depth of what God created sex to be, it must be done in a way that God commanded us to operate in so that our joy would be ever increasing and so that we don't experience all of the heartache and collateral damage that it does when we take it outside of that context. That's why biblical sexual ethic is very important. So again, this well, this well of the world, it cannot fill us. It cannot fill, and we know that from experience because we know we keep going back to this well over and over and over and over again, thinking that the next thing is going to fill us even though the last thing didn't fill us. Like, it's insanity, you realize, to keep going to the same thing with the thirst quench in your mouth, expecting it to fill you, only to have it not. You understand that, don't you? It always, the world always leaves us wanting more, or worse, leaves us sick to our stomachs. So that's the well of the world. And last, but certainly not least, the last well we try to drink from is the well of religion. Religion, okay? Um, and we're doing some religion right now. You aware of that? This is church. Just wanted to make sure you knew that. So this, uh, let me quantify what I mean by religion, okay? When I talk about religion, it, it, it's that may, I would say every, most if not every, major monotheistic religion teaches a type of appeasement of deity that is external to internal. Let me flesh that out, okay? Uh, most monotheistic religions teach, I am going to tilt the scales in my favor by being a good person in whatever way my religion tells me that is, and ultimately, that's what's going to fill me. Okay, I'm going to give myself over to this list of things to do and these list of things not to do in order to appease this God. Like, let me just obey these commandments. And if I'm good enough at obeying these laws, then I'm good. I'll be full. But hear me, religion doesn't work. That's why Paul doesn't really preach religion here. He preaches grace. It's by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works. In fact, religion is just as enslaving as any of these other wells. See, isn't religion just the well of self with like a choir robe on? I mean, it's just self-help with, with a little bit of like religious flair on it, okay? Aren't you still trying to just better yourself with external religious practices instead of actually being filled with Christ and letting that overflow into your life? Religion will not fill you. It's like, it's like the self with an amen tatched on. But Paul just said that there's a fullness of God, an eternal fullness that will fully, finally, and forever satisfy your soul. There's a fullness that you can be filled with and it's not in self or in others or the world or even in religion. It's only in a relationship with Christ. It's praying that you'd be strengthened with that knowledge. So, Let's finish our text because he tags on this beautiful doxology that I want to read. Verse 20. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, 
according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. See, I love that Paul ends this this prayer with this doxology and he says, hey, listen, I want to do abundantly more than all you could ask for or think. I feel like I've got a decent imagination and I feel like I could ask and or think for a lot of stuff. He says, oh, you want that? How about more? Oh, wait, no, not just more, abundantly more. Abundantly more in our marriages. Abundantly more in our children. Abundantly more in our workplaces and abundantly more in our schools. Abundantly more in our families, abundantly more in our churches, abundantly more with our neighbors, and goodness, abundantly more in ourselves. Listen, you can have all that stuff and his promise, abundantly more. I mean, doesn't doesn't that sound good? Don't you want that? Life to the full, yes, abundantly more? Sign me up for that. So listen, some of you today need to be strengthened just like Joshua was. Like you need to be strengthened to understand, to comprehend, and to fathom how unfathomable God is. Like I said earlier, whatever is going on in your life, whatever the Jericho is that you're facing right now, and no matter how insane it seems, you need to be strengthened to comprehend that God is still God and that he loves you in that. Others of us today, man, we need to be strengthened with that knowledge that surpasses knowledge, that impossible knowing something that is more than we could know. We need to know intimately that God loves you. I mean, that's it. The, the unsurpassable knowledge is that you would know that he loves you. Like a father loves a child, it just, it supersedes everything. And then there are others who need to be strengthened by being filled with fullness, like real fullness. I mean, I think each one of us could probably say, yeah, I've been lapping up from the well of self and a little bit of religion here. And well, there's some others. And then I like my truck. So, and you can real quick say, oh, I'm seeking fullness in places that I know won't satisfy just hoping to be filled. But the promise is you've got fullness offered to you. The fullness of God is offered to you. Something that cannot be contained and yet it is contained and offered to you. Listen, are you settling for something less than the abundantly more that he has for you? See, God wants to totally transform your life from the inside out. Totally renovate your, strip you down to the studs and build you back up all the way. Flip that house so that it's unrecognizable. And see, I think our problem is that we settle for far too little. We settle for far too little when God has this abundant life in store for you. He has so much more in store for you. He wants to keep taking you deeper and deeper and deeper into this unfathomable depth that he has for you. And it begins right here in this prayer when he's moving from belief before he moves to behavior. He says, you need to be strengthened in this stuff. Remember, belief always precedes behavior. 
So what do you believe about these things? What do you believe? What do you believe about this Jesus? Are you being strengthened in these things today? So let me end uh, by praying this prayer. I want to read this prayer and pray this prayer over us one last time. And so maybe uh, I'm not going to pray kind of my extemporaneous prayer again. I'm just going to read this over us. And as I pray this, uh, I want you to just close your eyes. I want you to kind of cave up a little bit, bow your head. And then maybe if you feel comfortable, you don't have to do it. There's no magic here, but, but maybe just lay your hands on your lap, palms up and open. Just kind of like set them there. If you feel comfortable, don't feel like you have to, okay? But but I want you to do that as a symbol that you're receiving this prayer for yourself. That what Paul prayed for the Ephesians, he's praying for you, that we're praying this for each other, that we're gonna receive this from him as a physical symbol. So let me read this over us as we close. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.